Welcome everyone. Welcome to HeartShift TV and the home of the High Vibe Tribe podcast. I'm Marcy Newman, your host, known also as the HeartShift Coach, and thrilled, absolutely thrilled today to have my dear, dear friend Mel Mason with us. Mel, welcome. Oh, hi Marcy. It's such an honor to be here with you. I love hanging out with you on your show. You know, I was trying to think how many years it's been since we've been doing this, right? This back and forth and um, just how blessed I feel that I finally moved into the Boston area, which enables you and I to get together so frequently when you come back east to visit your family. Mm -hmm. And when I first met you, you were moving to Thailand and you were much further away. <laughs> It's been seven, almost seven years, Marcy. Is almost that how long? Wow. 2014, yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I just want our audience to know that um, the, the ability to actually have relationships that evolve and deepen with each um, intersection that we have, right, is one of the most incredible blessings of not only this whole online digital world, but that it can bring us together with people of like hearts, like minds and vibrational frequencies. And we get to bear witness to each other's lives and to actually form intimate relationships. And <clears throat> I know that so often we hear, you know, with the digitalization of life and we've lost, you know, all of these um, abilities to really connect and relate to each other. And yet I, I do want to offer my gratitude for this because as I'm looking across the screen at you, I feel the same love the same connection, the same warmth um, and welcome that I do when you're in my dining room. <laughs> and it's yeah, so it, mm -hmm. It's so amazing. And, you know, even with this whole year of COVID where we've been stuck on Zoom and that was really the only way we could meet people, I met so many more people that way that I have deeper connections with than I've met throughout my whole life. I've met an entire new family just yeah. through COVID on Zoom. And then all of those people, a ton of those people that I've met through Zoom, we've actually gotten together in person. And those connections are just as real in person, oh, in the flesh. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the things that I feel is such a privilege um, is to bear witness, to bear witness to the evolution of life and also to share mine. You know, and I, I want you to know how much I appreciate that I can share me, the real me with you. I don't have to wear any masks. I don't have to wear this facade I can be the real me with you. And so for our audience sake, I want you to know that that's what we're going to be talking about. But I want to share a little bit more about Mel in terms of her professional background and status and, and um, how, again, 
she has evolved in these nearly seven years, as Mel said, that we've been together. So let me officially introduce you to my dear friend, Mel Mason, international best-selling author. She is the clutter expert, and she is not a clutter expert in the way that you might normally see a clutter expert, although that's part of it. She is so far beyond that. All right, diving in deeper, Mel is a sexual abuse survivor. She grew up depressed, suicidal, and surrounded by clutter. When she realized after coming back from this brink of despair and getting through her own chaos was that the outside was a mirror to the inside. Profound. This is a profound realization. And she started to realize also that when you only address what's on the outside, without changing that inside, the clutter keeps coming back. So, it sent her on a mission, a mission to empower people around the world to get free from clutter inside and out so that they can experience happiness and abundance, prosperity, joy, all of those wonderful things that our hearts are yearning for and are present for us in every area of our lives. She's also the author of Freedom from Clutter, the guaranteed foolproof step-by-step -step process to remove the stuff that's weighing you down. Mel, I love you. And I love this whole um, aspect of life that you have really taken the cap off and just started to like peel away all of those layers. So thank you for your work. And now I just wanna dive in and let everybody really know what's in that heart of yours, that beautiful heart of yours. Um, so, okay, we know you started out as the clutter expert, being this declutterer of people's physical worlds. Where are you now? Like what's going on inside of you? Oh, where am I now? Wow, it's yeah. uh, I feel like I'm on a, it was called a meteoric rise from a friend of mine who just introduced me at a, at a graduation ceremony. My rise has been meteoric. It's, um, it's been just the last year has been such an intense journey where, let's see, it was about a year and a half ago that I shed some really intense clutter, which was letting go of my ex-wife, which was a really toxic relationship. And when I finally let go of that after God almost bombs. 12 years. God bombs, go ahead. <laughs> when I finally let go of that clutter, the hardest decision I ever had to make was letting that relationship go. But that created the space for so much magic to happen in my life. Just Weeks after I ended the relationship, I got an offer to go be an assistant organizer on the set of the show Hoarders. So I got to be in an episode of Hoarders. Then I 
I, let's see, became an international best-selling author by contributing to a book in early July of last year. Then I was told I needed to write my own book. So I wrote that in seven weeks. I got that done in seven weeks and then just released another book that I contributed to that's already a bestseller. So now I'm a two-time best-selling author and I have my own book. And then I was offered a TV show. So I have the Mel Mason show coming out on Roku, Amazon, Google, Fire, all those things and the smart TVs this July on a channel called Legrity Media that just soft launched in June. So I'm super excited about all this amazing stuff going on and it just keeps getting better and better. It's incredible, really. And, um, you know, when we think about how when we release clutter, right, which you did with the relationship, and again, I'm getting these God bumps, what we're actually releasing is energy, right? We are releasing dense energy that has been holding us in place, weighing us down and preventing us from stepping into everything that the universe has waiting for us. And this is why it's so essential. So, you know, there are so many metaphors, right? About cleaning out your closet and doing all these things, but it's so essential to really understand what's going on. So I want to first off, congratulate you with everything that is going on and your incredible accomplishments. But from my perspective, those are the outward indications of the work that you have done inside. And that this decluttering, okay, inside, internally, is the most important work that we can do. And that's what you and your life are evidence of. It's a completely different trajectory to your life that literally has been just sitting there waiting for you, twiddling its thumbs, saying, oh, she'll get here, she'll get here, we're just gonna wait. And how we create from there. So I wanna go back further. I want to talk about the decluttering that you've experienced in terms of those moments where you're able to sort of pinpoint on the on the timeline of Mel Mason, right, that had such significant um, implications in your life, that every single one of them actually was a stepping stone to bringing you here, even though it appears like this last year has, you know, just exploded. Every single one of those steps was important. And for our purposes today also, we want to put a focus on what actually has happened as you have evolved and why you are the perfect candidate for us to bring into the spotlight this month during Pride Month. Okay? All right. Let's go back because there's so much to your life um, that our audience needs to know about and needs to understand really just how far that inner decluttering has taken you. Okay. So I knew, I know, I should say that you <laughs> grew up in New Hampshire, right? Mass. Oh, Massachusetts, sorry. Boom. Okay. 
Um, my mom is in New Hampshire now. Your mom is in New Hampshire now. Yeah. Right. So you grew up in Massachusetts (laughs) and I know that you had a difficult childhood. What would you say was, um, that, that moment. Okay. And I'm sure that there were many, but there, there was a moment and we talked about you being sexual, sexually abused, right as a youngster and survived that. And I know that there were other things that happened that started to mold you and create a lot of inner clutter. So just give us, give us some insight into that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks for the question, Marcy. <clears throat> um, from a very early age, um, a, lot of, a lot of things were going on. But at four years old, my parents had separated Um, So I already felt abandonment and by eight years old, I had, at eight years old, I had three different sexual traumatic events that happened to me from three different people. So I had sexual abuse happen at three different points at the age of eight years old. One of them was my brother. And so there is the sexual abuse tie with my brother. And then at the age of 15 years old, my, my home was so tumultuous. I, I didn't want to stay at home. So I was actually living with my brother and he had, I guess, had some guilt about what he had done to me in the past. Um, and he actually confronted me and asked me if, if it had affected me. Now, mind you, I'm terrified of my brother. He's a rager. He has a huge temper. He's five years older than me. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. And an interesting chain of events happened. I had a friend whose parents invited me over to help me with study skills for school. I was living with my brother, but I was getting help studying. And they just kept asking these questions that were really uncomfortable, like, where are you sleeping and what's going on? And it just started triggering all this stuff. And when they brought me home, they gave me a quarter to call them if I needed them to pick me back up. And they dropped me off at my brother's house and he wasn't there. And so I walked up to the center of town where I figured he'd be hanging out with his friends. And I was just so overwhelmed with, I don't know what, I don't even know how to describe it, but I walked up to him and I said to him, what you did do affected me. Mm. And I went and had my friend pick me back up. And he told me before I left that my stuff would be ready for me to pick up the next day. And when I returned to pick up my stuff with my best friend's father is when I found my brother hanging in his living room. Oh my God. So that was a pretty defining moment in my life. Having my abuser realize and confront him and then for him to take his life. I mean, it's almost too much for us to take in. I can't imagine what it was like at 15 to try to take that in and begin to untangle that. Mm -hmm. It was so confusing because also I idolized my brother. And so I thought I was attracted to him too. And there was always this, well, if you weren't my sister, you'd be my girlfriend kind of thing in this unhealthy relationship between us two. But we were also because we had the same father and different moms, we were separated for the first five years of our lives. I don't even remember meeting him until I was five, but 
you know, so we didn't even, he didn't even live with us because he was with his mom and then in foster care. Wow. And then my mom took him in when I was eight, when my dad wasn't with us, she attempted to take him in to care for him. And that's when the abuse started. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So these wonderful people who were recognizing that something was amiss and gave you that quarter, right? To, to call them. Um, were they able to be there for you in other ways that you needed them to? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was an absolute blessing. I wound up staying with them for a while instead of staying with my mom and being able to stay with my best friend and still go to school. And they, they helped as best as they could, but I was pretty much at that point on a really downward spiral. Um, after losing him, I was pretty much just obsessed with death and dying. And there was really nothing that was gonna stop me from going out the way that he did. And about little less than a month after he committed suicide, I was actually kicked out of my high school for being a danger to myself and others for the behaviors I was doing. I, guess, I don't remember this, but my stepmother does. I guess I jumped off a balcony at school or something. I don't remember it, mm -hmm. um, but I got kicked out of school and they said that you can't come back until you get intensive therapy. You need some help. And so I went and lived in a residential treatment center for the next year and a half of my life. And did that give you some stability that you needed through what you learned there? Yeah, I think it was one of the most amazing experiences that I had because we lived on campus. We lived in a house on campus and the school was on campus. So we, we were always in groups. We always had staff around. We always had the support. And then the best thing that happened for me while I was living there is I was a sponge, Marcy. I was a total sponge seeking for answers. I was brought into Christianity like when I was eight years old too, like at that time mm -hmm. and became a sponge. And after my brother committed suicide, the Christian church basically told me that he was burning in hell. Right. And I kind of just turned my back and went and forged my own path. And while I was living at the residential treatment center, I had a therapist that was actually substituting for my therapist while she was on vacation who introduced me to yoga and mindfulness. We literally did our session doing yoga in her office. And she introduced me to Thich Nhat Hanh, The Miracle of Mindfulness, the first book mm -hmm. on mindfulness I ever read. And it just opened the floodgates and just sent me on a search. I was reading everything I could about Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism. And I was just a sponge seeking for answers. And in learning how through yoga and meditation and how to be present with myself for all of that stuff I was running from, from all that trauma and loss is what made this huge shift in my life. Because before my brother committed suicide, I was already a cluttered mess. Like you couldn't walk in my room. My floor was completely covered and it wasn't just stuff. It was trash. I was fine living in filth and there was nothing on my radar that I should live any differently. Like I was totally fine like that. Until my mom came and yelled at me and wanted it clean, but I still wouldn't do it. And she'd get frustrated enough and she would eventually do it. But what would inevitably happen is after she cleaned it, it would just come right back because that's what my insides looked like. Sure. But as a result of learning how to be present with myself for all that inner clutter and just a loving, non judgmental space, just being a witness of my experience. 
I went from that cluttered, messy kid to someone who could no longer tolerate clutter. And I had to start clearing my physical environment. I couldn't tolerate it anymore. So that cluttered, messy kid had this internal shift within about a year of needing to have clean, clear space. Now, I didn't let go of all my attachments and the things that I was stuck to yet, but that need to have order and that need to have clean, clear space shifted from the inside out because I was making the space inside myself for all of that pain, all of that sadness, all those resentments, all those fears, all those limiting beliefs, making the space for all of that. And when you do that, because the outside is a mirror, it's law, the outside is only a mirror of the inside. When you change the inside, the outside has to match its law. So whatever's going on outside is just a mirror. Change the inside and the outside changes itself. So the greatest gift I got from living there was being introduced to yoga and mindfulness. Mm. Amazing to think what someone else might consider to be frivolous right, had such an incredible impact on your life and clearly did start this whole new path in terms of it giving you tools um, to go back to, right, when you sort of went awry. So what happened when you left the residential Oh, you know, when you, after you live in an institution for a while, there's this thing where you pretty much go right back to the, where you were before you went in. Um, So when I got out, I was, um, you know, I went right back to using drugs. I wound up getting addicted to crack cocaine for a while. It was not pretty. Um, Really struggled with addiction for a while through my 20s. Um, And that was quite a journey to, let's see, I wound up addicted to crystal meth on the streets of San Diego, you know, homeless, wandering around, not worrying my parents whether they were going to get the call that I was dead on the streets. Um, And that pretty much continued till about 2004. I forget how old I was then. I was born in 78. So um, 2004, I, I had an awakening. I was basically looking at six years in prison over my head, getting kicked out of this treatment center and that treatment center. And they basically said, if you don't get your shit together, you're going to prison for six years. We're not going to let you do treatment. Was that drug related or? Yeah, I had got arrested for possession, DUI, possession with intent to distribute of crystal meth. It wasn't pretty. Um, and let me see. So I got, I was looking at the six years in prison over my life and I kept bouncing in and out of these programs and getting kicked out. And I remember just walking on the streets and just thinking of my parents for a minute and thinking of the fear that they're living in with me being on the streets and worrying every time the phone would ring that this was going to be the call that told them that they found their daughter dead. Mm. And for a moment, that spark is what got me to enter a treatment program that it was actually three months longer than I was required to do. Um, but it was the place that saved my life. And I went in there for 
um, ulterior motives. I just happened to show up and there was a beautiful woman at the front desk who checked me in and I'm like, oh, I want to go here, of course. And then, <laughs> of course, it was the it was the only LGBT um, treatment center in San Diego. All the rest of them were like straight and they tried to make me wear dresses and do all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, I'm leaving. Uh, but I, I, this woman, I was like, oh, I want to go here for her. I don't care what else is going on. So she got me in the door. But after a couple months of being there and in, I was, um, I was still, when I got there, even though I didn't want my parents to find me dead, I still wasn't, wasn't doing it for me yet. I was just there. And it was like, as soon as I get finished my requirements for probation and get probation off my back, then I'm going to go right back out and start using again. That was my plan in my mind. And after a few months of being there, just something shifted inside. And I started to remember that I have a purpose. I started to remember that I meant to share my experience with others. And I can only do that if I get my shit together. Mm -hmm. And so I finally started putting the program to work. I got a sponsor. I started working the steps. I went and got a job. I was doing all the things that I was supposed to and I graduated that program. And that was one of the greatest experiences of my life was going through there. And I still go back and visit every once in a while there in San Diego. Stepping Stone, it's a great name for the place too because it was a great stepping stone. Interesting that I used that phrase before. Um, what's also interesting to me is how, you know, if we were to look at this, again, this timeline of Mel Mason and see all these different pivotal points, how the universe, like every step along the way, was actually there giving you either the support and what you needed to sort of come back home, right, um, within yourself, or to lead you in the direction. And I, I couldn't help but think that eye candy sitting at that desk, you know, that just enticed you to come into that program, even though your intention, right, was, all right, let me get this over with so I can get back to the streets and do what I really want to do. The universe says, yeah, okay. I know. I was, I was willing to do six months versus three months just for a girl. Just because she's sitting at that desk. But how incredible is that? Somebody might, you know, say, oh, that's how, you know, that's how um, shallow you were. No. That's how powerful the universe is. It knows exactly what we need at all Before time. we need it. Before, Before we, we need, need it. it. I have things showing it. up in my life that I didn't even know I needed. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Wow, I didn't even catch that. Sure. <laughs> Simple piece of eye candy. And here you are in front of us. Right? I like wow. that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Sugar. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, that just blows my mind. And also how, you know, with such relatively, when you think about it, short amount of time, you were able to clear so much of that inner clutter enough to remember who you really were. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> then I forgot again. 
Uh-huh. It happens. As we all do. <laughs> okay. As we yeah. all <clears throat> all right. So take us there. Okay. So, so you, then get I forgot out. Again. you get out. <laughs> get out. You're you're clear. You've remembered at least there's something in your peripheral vision that's calling to you, right? Okay. Still doing the work. I'm showing up. I'm going to meetings and I wind up at a traditions workshop. And then someone else catches my eye. <laughs> that one I wound up marrying. Wait, so is Amy. this, oh, okay. So your second marriage. Yes, my second okay. marriage. Oh yeah, okay. we skipped the first marriage. Yeah, yeah we skipped the first one. It was the marriage to the. by the way. Yeah, it was <laughs> Just skip that one. <laughs> I was 19. I was trying to get out of my parents' house. Yeah, not a good idea. Anyway, okay. So, so here I am at the traditions workshop. I'm standing talking to a friend of mine, and it's just us at our table. And next thing I turn around, and there's this beautiful woman sitting at my table. And I just looked at my friend, and I'm like, What's she doing at our table? You know what I mean? And so then I started, of course, flirting with her at the table. And her mom happened to be there that day. So I didn't just meet her, I met the mom at the same time. And and of course, you know, I put myself where she is, start finding meetings that she's going to and showing up. And next thing you know, we're going on a date. And uh, it was kind of funny. The timing didn't work out. We literally dated for two weeks and it was bad timing for her, bad timing for me. And we went our separate ways. And a year went by. And next thing I know, I'm getting invited to her, one of her AA anniversaries. She was having a birthday. So I think it was like three years or something like that, three or four years or something like that. And I got invited to come watch her speak. And then after that, we wound up hitting it off. And we just, once we got together, it was like, you know how that works. It's like yeah. two weeks later, you're moving in. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing that happened for me there with losing my brother and losing my dad when I was younger and having all this abandonment, I had severe, severe separation anxiety, mm. like so bad that we lived in a studio, like 630 square feet. You get the living room, the kitchen. The only door that closes is the one to the bathroom and the closet. And wow. the one, you know, there's no separate room. But I had such separation anxiety that like, she would get up to go to the kitchen and I would like have anxiety, like I would freak out and it became very suffocating for her. And so she was a really big catalyst for me to really address this separation anxiety that I had from all the trauma. But it took a long time because in the beginning, for her, my light shined too bright and I was always talking about spiritual things and I, I didn't read fiction and I wasn't interesting to her. I only had a one track mind. And so I decided I was gonna shut my light down because of all that a fear of abandonment. I didn't wanna lose her. I'd rather lose yeah. me than lose her, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna shut my light down. I stopped praying, I stopped meditating. I stopped connecting with myself. I stopped being present with myself. Mm -hmm. And it took about six years, but I wound up spiraling back to a very familiar place. I was, I think, 36 years old, it was 2013. And I remember sitting there and contemplating, I'm either going to end my life right now because I am so done with this. I was so tapped out. I'm just, I'm going to end my life right now or I'm gonna do whatever it takes to experience my birthright because I know it's my birthright to be happy and abundant in every area of my life. Whoa. And the I also knew, 
But in making that decision, that it would most likely cost me my relationship because she more than likely wouldn't come along with me. And so it was the hardest decision. One of the hardest decisions I made was to put my happiness first and start putting me first again. And as I did that, it still took another about six years, but the, the, the gap between us grew so big that I was finally able to leave. I just think it's so remarkable. And it reminds me, <clears throat> excuse me, so much of, you know, my own experiences where even in the midst of this deepest fear, there is this light that penetrates and it delivers a message. You know, this is for your highest good, right? Not the fear. The fear is still there, but there's a light that manages to crack that veneer come through and start leading the way where you know that you have to make a very difficult decision and yet the decision is not difficult because you're so clear on it. It's always less kind of like paradox, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm so moved by the fact that, I mean, everything that you'd experienced in your life um, and being so aware of this separation anxiety, you know, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the abandonment issues that literally had you, you know, frozen in this state, should she go to the kitchen, which was in the same room where you were. And that fear to be so intense and yet for that light to be so bright. Yeah. <clears throat> and what's really amazing is once I made that decision at that point in my life, I was tapped out. I was, I was working a job with the guy, the, the boss was just horrible. I loved what I did, but I didn't love the environment that I was mm -hmm. in. And my ex at the time was going through severe anxiety and wasn't sleeping. So I was someone who was not taking care of myself. So I was always giving to her. So I was tapped out and depleted, found out I had hemochromatosis at the same time and was just so tapped. And that's just an iron disorder where your body can't stop absorbing iron. Um, and I was just so tapped out and so burnt out. And once I started to put myself first, the first thing that happened was one of the biggest stressors in my ex's life was her mother's health and not living with her mother. And so an opportunity came up where we were able to, well, Amy was able to buy a house and move her mom in with us. So that was like the first huge shift. Well, then three months after we moved, I was able to take my first step into being my own boss by becoming an independent contractor for these two women that happened to be our clients at the company I was running. They needed a personal assistant and they were extremely finicky and they had more money than God, but they always needed a personal assistant. So my ex was like, well, make sure you get a contract because you're leaving a really good job with benefits and profit sharing. And I'd been there for eight years. I oh, wow. really, I was in, I was in line to actually take the company over. Yeah, he wanted right. to give me the company when he died. He was going to leave it to me. And I wound up being able to step out and become an independent contractor for these women to be their assistant. But two weeks later, they didn't need me anymore. They had something else going on in their life. And so they said, we're just going to mail you a check for the balance of your contract. So that was a $50,000 check that came in the mail to me <laughs> for working for two weeks. Oh and not only that, not only that, 
they had bought me a MacBook Pro computer to do their work on because I was supposed to inventory their stuff. So they bought me this MacBook computer and they gave it to me. Wow. You can keep it. I'm like, by the grace of God. I mean, seriously. So then I took the next six months off and that's where Decluttering Spaces was born in 2013 on six months off and a $50,000 check. I launched Decluttering Spaces the January after. Absolutely remarkable. Remarkable. It just keeps getting better. It does just keep getting better. So let's talk about, let's talk about um, coming to this point where you started to accept yourself as you were, which is really the whole catalyst from my perspective for all of that inner decluttering as you talk about it. Um, What was that point for you, Mel? Because it had to have been um, something significant in your awareness that I just have to accept myself as I am so that I can start being who I am. Do you recall what that moment was or what that incident I, I was? I really think that was the moment with, um, you know, wanting to take my life when I was with Amy because um, it was also triggered by, I knew that I had, I knew that my experience was meant to help others. And I knew that I was meant to work for myself someday. Like I always knew, I just didn't know what that was going to look like. So I had studied Reiki, Theta, yoga teacher, martial mm-hmm. arts. I was going to do all these different things. And I had completed my theta training and I was just talking, having a conversation with Amy about wanting to start my own business. I wasn't quitting my job or I wasn't going to do anything. And she was like, how dare you even have that conversation with me while I'm under this much stress and this much anxiety? How dare you like have a conversation with you about wanting to have my own business? Yeah. Because it was theta healing and she didn't believe you could make money with energy healing so she just from that point on she had this huge resentment against me like I had caused her this harm this ear like undoable harm by even having that conversation with her and I think that really triggered it because I knew that I was meant to be out on my own doing my own thing I was meant to be sharing my experience and that's what I needed to do and in being willing to put my happiness first, that's when I started putting myself first and meeting myself right where I was and allowing whatever was coming up to come up and and being present with all of it. It really came from that moment of wanting to die again because I knew that my mission was bigger than that. My mission is way bigger than that. I got so much to do on this planet. I'm, I'm not in charge. People wonder why I don't worry about when I go hiking by myself. I'm like, do you know who I walk with? I mean, I got bigger <laughs> plans going on. Like, I don't think I'm going out by a mountain line, but if I do, I'm, 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 I was meant to be mountain line food. It's all good. Yeah. It's just part of the cycle of life. So, yeah. So, um, this ability to be so authentic, right. <clears throat> um, is such a gift that so many people are yearning for in this world. We are conditioned, programmed to constantly be wearing these masks and we're terrified to take them off. Um, We are uh, so programmed to believe that there are parts of us that 
should they be exposed, that we will be abandoned, that we will be discovered that we're not enough, not lovable, not worthy, not valuable. What advice do you have for the people listening who may be at that point also where they can feel that yearning in their hearts, they know that they're meant for something different, or they're so damn sick and tired of you know, playing the game for everybody else, feel that emotional, mental, physical, and of course, spiritual exhaustion. What advice can you give them about being able to accept themselves and start to live authentically from what I describe as a self-love lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. I ultimately think the most important thing is to be willing to stop and turn your attention within. We are, we are going, going, going all the time and we are constantly <clears throat> avoiding ourselves. If you look at clutter, clutter accumulates in piles because we turn away from it. We're not looking at it. And the outside being a mirror of the inside, if you're turning away from what's going on outside, it just means you're turning away from you on the mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. And so the answer is to turn towards yourself and start with what's comfortable. If you can only start with a minute, start with a minute. If you can start with five minutes, start with five minutes. If you can do 15 minutes, great. That's all you need. But it's stopping and being willing to just turn your attention within and witness what it feels like to be you in this moment, all of you. The resentments, the judgments, the fears, the love, the joy, the 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 oneness like feel it all and just allow it all to be because ultimately we're only ever in two states of being we are either in contraction avoiding what's uncomfortable or hanging on to what feels good or we can allow and there's only two states so you can either contract or allow and when you turn your attention within and get present you're allowing and it's, it's just the magic of being willing to allow the moment that creates the space. It's just a willingness. You don't need to be able to stay present. Your mind can race all over the place. It's the simple act of your willingness to turn towards yourself instead of away. Because we've been running from ourselves our entire lives. We just avoid, resist, and deny ourselves. And we keep going and we keep giving from an empty cup because we don't ever fill our cup up. But when you do this, you have a full cup and then people start to wonder where you get your energy from. Mm. This is a month of pride. It's a month of really putting focus, bringing into the light every reason that each and every one of us has to feel that pride in ourselves and in each other. And I think that the impetus for our ability to feel that, to feel the giddiness of it almost, is our ability to see ourselves perhaps and accept ourselves for the very first time as the divine beings that we are. Yeah. 
And I know it's so hard for people to look at themselves and say, what the hell? There's no way I'm a divine being. Look at me. <laughs> look at my life. Look at what's happened to me or look what I've done. Um, any advice? Everything is necessary. No matter what. All the actions I've taken that I wasn't proud of, they all led me to where I am today. And it's in accepting all of it, the harms I've caused people, the harms that have happened to me, the love that I have for people. It's accepting all of it because we live in a world of duality. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have light without darkness. And so we need to embrace it all. We need to accept all of us. We can't leave any part unhidden. So the greatest gift you can give yourself is your presence. Your presence is required. And what a present that is. What a gift that is to yourself and to the world. Well, I mean, there's no question that you are a true inspiration. Um, and the power of your beingness is something that is a blessing to each and every one of us. I am so thrilled to call you my dear friend and to be able to share um, your deep wisdom, your experiences, and of course, your sage advice. We all need it, right? We, we need to both receive that support of each other and to be the support and so often we get caught in the downward spiral and sort of, you know, overwhelmed by the density and we forget just how important we are to the workings of this world and to humanity even um, as a whole. So I know that our audience will want to reach out to you. Um, and I'm going to ask you to just give your contact information for people who perhaps are listening and won't see your show page. Um, how can they reach you? Um, you can email me at info at declutteringspaces.com or you can go to my website, declutteringspaces.com and there's a little contact form that will pop up and you can send me a message there. Fantastic. And do you have any projects or programs coming up that you'd like to share with people? Uh, sure, I got a I got an allowing the now workshop I'm doing this Friday, June 11th, but July 16th, I have one of my favorite guests, Ms. Marzi Newman coming on my new show, my live event, Dare to Thrive, how to confidently clear the clutter, finish what you start and increase happiness and abundance in every area of your life. It's a one day live conference on July 16th. Uh, registration details will be coming out a couple weeks before the event. Very exciting. And of course, I'm so excited to be a part of it as always. And um, it's been every one you've been on, right? Every single one. And each yeah. one gets better and better and better. Um, so, all right. I want to ask you also just to repeat the titles of your books so that people can purchase them and really start their own journeys of reaching so deeply within that they can declutter all of that mess and start to live life the way they're meant to, happy and healthy and whole. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the best way is actually, I don't believe in giving clutter. I did write a book, but I have a hard time about people buying it and having it in their house because it turns into clutter. So you can, <laughs> grab, you can read the whole book. <laughs> you can read the whole Brilliant. book for free by going to freegiftfrommel.com. You can download the whole book for free. But if you do want to purchase the book, you can get an autographed copy. If you go to my website, I'll actually sign it and send it to you. You can buy it on my website or you can just get it on Amazon and it won't be autographed. Oh, how beautiful. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I and love you so much. Yeah, I, I'm just so thrilled that we've had this extra time together. And thank you for being here during Pride Month and inspiring each and every one of us to take the layers of those masks off and be truly authentic. Start living from our hearts the way that we are meant to. That's our true birthright. Yes, I see you. Yes. So thank you everyone for being here, for giving us your time, your attention, your beautiful energy with hearts that are open and minds that have been primed to receive this deep wisdom um, and information that is so heart-filled and heart-based. So until next time, I remain Marcy Newman, your Heart Shift Coach, and of course, you can find me at heartshiftcoach.com and can see all of my programs at selfloveuniversity.com. So much love to you. Mwah. We'll see you all soon. And um, thank you again, Mel, for this wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you for the opportunity. It's all about sharing the message. Yes, it is. Bye-bye, everyone.